Benvenuti to Kimberly's Italy, a podcast about our love of all things Italian. My name is Kimberly Holcomb, and I'm here with Tommaso. Il famoso Tommaso. Il famoso Tommaso. <laughs> Ciao, amore mio. This is big news. We are on... Episodio 60. Bravo! Did you guys hear that? Episodio <laughs> 60. He just needs to go a little deeper, but he's getting there. Episodio 60. Oh, now he's going to be like um, one of those movie, um, what do you call those guys? Voiceover. Creep- introducing a movie. Creepy guy. Creepy guy. <laughs> okay, episode 60, and we are back in Perugia. In our previous episode, we left you standing in the middle of Piazza Quattro Novembre in Perugia, the capital of Umbria. And we're going to get right back there in a minute. But first, I need to mention something that a few listeners pointed out to me this past week via emails that I received from them. And I don't know, perhaps they just listened to a random episode where I did not mention the fact that I am a travel planner. So these two or, women... Or perhaps you're just not selling hard enough pumpkins. Yeah, right. <laughs> I get so excited yeah, to talk too. about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> so, right. Uh, la culpa mia. My fault. Okay. So uh, to these women, yes. See, I am a travel planner. They asked me, do you plan trips for people other than doing this podcast? Yes, yes, yes. I plan trips for anyone, an individual, a couple, a family, a group of friends, you name it, I'll plan someone's trip. Yet every single trip is personalized for that client, completely customized according to each person's likes and dislikes. So yes, I love planning trips for people. And you can get in touch with me via email, Kim at Kimberly's Italy, Instagram message, you name it, it's all the same name. Kimberly's Italy. And we have a couple of the kittens coming in this week for an interview talking about the kitten club trips. Previous kitten club trips yes. is what he's referring to. Right. So for those of you listening for the first time, you're wondering what the heck a kitten is. So you have to go back <laughs> and listen to our group trips that were hysterical, funny, and nicknamed the kitten club. Kitten club one and two. The girl, two women from Kitten Club 2 will be in the studio later this week to chat about our trip. Yes. And a few upcoming ones. Okay, let's go back to the main piazza in Perugia. Smack dab in the middle of this piazza sits La Fontana Maggiore, which means the main fountain, the best fountain. And it's extraordinary. This fountain played a very important role in the history of Perugia's residence. And it's this large circular fountain made from stone from Assisi. It was completed around 1275. But the most interesting part is, Tommaso, you've seen several photos of this incredible fountain. Si, certo. (laughs) That means certainly I have. Yes, I have. (laughs) So the most important little tidbit about this fountain is that the lower half is divided into 12 plaques or mirrors, as they use the term to describe these carved stone plaques. They're divided into 12 to represent each month of the year. And these carvings depict 
what the people had to do in each month, like when to plant, when to sow, when to harvest, when to fish. I don't actually know where they fished in those days. Perugia is in the middle of Umbria. There must have been more rivers or basins. Well, considering the Tiber starts up in Umbria. So maybe that's it. Right. Anyway, so every one of these plaques describes and tells the residents what to do in their manual labor life because they, not all of them at least, could not read. So they would go to this fountain daily to get their water. That was the main water source. And they could see on the plaques of what to do. I think that's so incredibly interesting. You don't. (laughs) No, I do think it's interesting. It's just a matter of I'm trying to wrap my head around being alive back then and not being able to read. True. But think about it. I know. know, They were the laborers. They are the ones that worked in the field and they probably were not taught the language. This fountain, I truly find the most, for lack of a better phrase, thought-provoking fountain I've ever seen. And I love fountains. I love fountains like I love sculptures. Almost as much as churches. Right. <laughs> if That's a very good point. Church is number one, sculptures number two, fountains number three. But you know what I'm kind in, of... I'm in complete reverse order. Oh, really? Fountains, sculptures, and then churches. Okay, then you're going to Perugia to check out Fontana Maggiore. Okay. And you know what I have to say? Remember when we were in Rome and Piazza Navona with those three amazing, large, incredible fountains? Yes. That each tell a story. When I was looking through my pictures from Perugia of this fountain, I was there several times, but on this particular trip, my photos show these people, just tourists sitting around, On the base of the fountain, it has a little wrought iron fence around it to prevent people from damaging these plaques. And everyone in the photos from May of 2019 is sitting on the base of this fountain with their face in their phone. That's sad. Isn't it sad? sad? So I was thinking about it back to our trip in Rome last fall when we were in Piazza Navona Same thing. So many tourists just sitting around, sitting on the bases, looking at their phone, eating ice cream. And you didn't see that many people staring at the sculptures themselves or reading anything about it, perhaps. So for all those people that see that long haired man with a long beard and a trident, the sculpture, do you think that they... It even enters their mind that, hey, that's Poseidon. I don't think those are listeners to Kimberly's Italy. Oh. (laughs) We have a different level of tourist. Good point. When you go to Perugia, go to Fontana Maggiore and look at these plaques all 12 months. I find it just amazing. And keep your phone in your pocket after you've taken some great photographs. Exactly. Okay, so let's say that you're standing in that same piazza looking at the fountain and let's keep the Palazzo dei Priori to your left. We discussed that incredible palazzo in the previous episode. So you're at the fountain. Palazzo dei Priori to your left, the main cathedral to your right. I want you to walk straight. Go straight down the little stoneway walkway. All, actually, what am I saying? All walkways in Perugia and basically all of Italy Italy. (laughs) are all stone walkways. (laughs) It's a car-free zone, all of the downtown historic center. 
of Perugia. But anyway, from that fountain, walk straight, which would actually be west. And you'll run into like the side of a stone wall. Follow it to the left, follow it to the right. And then all of a sudden, right there in front of you is the most beautiful ancient archway. And you can't miss it because it has bands of white stone and red stone and then a little wrought iron grate on top. And then it just, it stops at the top of this arch. It's not supporting anything anymore, but it did. It might have supported an aqueduct. I'm not sure, but it did. And they left it there. Eventually someone abutted a building right to the right side of it. But there is this archway that is so beautiful. It literally stopped me in my track. So when I was there last. And do, you ha- do you have a picture of that? Oh, yeah. So you can, you're going to post that on Instagram, aren't you? Yes, I am. Okay. Later today. <laughs> I'm supposed to post every day. I do like once a week. I'm going to try and get better. Ti prometo. Vi prometo. I promise you. <laughs> so this arch i bring everyone there every time i go to perugia and this last time in 2019 i was with just four of the group and i showed them this archway and you just left speechless it's so beautiful and you're so happy they left it and right to the left of this is an amazing restaurant you find this stone archway you'll find the restaurant it looks like it's as old as that archway it sounds like a treasure hunt <laughs> Good idea. Find the archway, find the restaurant. (laughs) So from there, after your archway visit, you could continue straight and then head right a little bit until you find Via Cesare Battista, which will lead you to the entrance of the Aquedotto Romano, the Roman aqueduct. And you can start right there in Perugia, in the city center, and walk it for two and a half miles which is exactly what we did. We ended up at a monastery called San Benedetto. But when you start walking on this aqueduct, that's all you can think about. This aqueduct has been there since the mid-1200s, this version of it that's wider. The version that you know was smaller was centuries earlier. But this aqueduct that we walked on was from the mid-1200s. So... All we could think about was, this is old, and this was the main source of water for all of Perugia. So you walk and walk, and you're just slightly going up the incline, which is how the water fell down. And you leave the city center, you go through little neighborhoods, you meander around. You have to kind of focus, you know, pay attention so that you're staying on it, because it does take little rights and lefts, but As I said, we ended up in this monastery, which was beautiful. And when we turned around to go back, we stayed on Via Appia, which is the other word for it. One is called like Viale Aquedotto, the other is Via Appia. And again, all you do is think about the history. And at the end of Via Appia, it turns into, when you get back into the historic center, it turns into what's called Galinata del Aquedotto. That's a tongue twister. La Scalinata del Aquedotto. That just means the staircase of the aqueduct. Can can we just talk about the engineering of that for a bit? I've always been fascinated by Roman aqueducts. The fact that they could go for miles and miles and miles. And they 
slope them so gently. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no Home Depot around to get a snap line. There was no level. I mean, no. they really... I bet you they did have a form of a level. Well, maybe they did, but still, it's a pretty... You need a pretty long level. Yes. <laughs> Just move it from end to end. They did not have a, a surveyor to sort of put a point somewhere and look up. It's really remarkable how it that is. happened. It definitely is. And that's what we thought about the whole time, not specifically the level, but just how long it's been there and what its role was in this in the history of the city. Anyway, when we got to La Scalinata, we thought, wow, that looks like many, many steps back up to the main part of the city. And we're like, kind of tired. It was a little <laughs> warm, two and a half miles each way. We're like, hmm, okay, we can do it. And all the local women had their bags of groceries going up, going down. And we thought, let's just act like a local. We got to the top. We're like, (gasps) (laughs) Dio mio. So with that, we decided we're hungry. But collectively, we thought we're not really in a mood to sit in a restaurant. So we walked the little stone streets again, stone sidewalks, and found a panino shop. We walked in the five of us, and we're like, oh, this is it. We each ordered a panino, cold Peroni beer, and walked back to the main piazza. And we sat on the steps of the cathedral opposite the fountain, opposite Palazzo del Priori, and ate our sandwiches and looked at this architecture and this piazza, which truly, in my opinion, is one of the more architecturally graphic Piazza's, it's like the top of my list for architecture. Was our friend, the architect Steve there? No, he stayed at the Castello that day. Of course he did. Mm, He was sketching contemporary designs and really didn't have the need to go see (laughs) quote unquote old stuff. (laughs) Stefano, we still love you. (laughs) Anyway, so we ate our sandwiches and we're so happy. And I just, even though this was three years ago, a little more than three years ago, I can remember every bite. I got a panino with grilled eggplant and zucchini. It had roasted tomatoes and then a smoked burrata. Oh, and a cold beer. The rest of the group said, this is the perfect lunch in the perfect place. And indeed it was. A simple panino, cold peroni or iced tea, whatever you want. It was awesome. And It's not that crowded. So you can sit on these stone steps of either the cathedral or the palazzo. Everyone was. There weren't that many of us or there weren't that many other people. Hardly any tourists. I don't. I just remember students. There's a lot of universities there. It sounds absolutely perfect. It was. All the way up until the eggplant. (laughs) Oh, God. He can't move beyond his hatred of Melanzana. (laughs) All right. So. From there, two of the other girls went shopping. One of them, Katerina, being a professional shopper. (laughs) And she came back with a very hip, very contemporary and very large purse. And I found it so cool that in this ancient piazza, she came back with such a contemporary piece of Italian design. Well, she's a pro shopper. I just said that. I know. Oh, so so she she could sniff it it out. (laughs) She could be she could be in the Dolomiti and find something. Right. <laughs> and then, of course, we all had to buy some Perugina chocolate. 
the history of that is, well, my personal history is I became addicted to bachi the first week I moved to Italy. Seriously. Bacio means kiss. Bachi means kisses. So when you say goodbye to your friends in Italian on the phone or in person, bachi, bachi, ciao, ciao, bachi, <laughs> bye-bye, kisses, kisses. I love it when it comes from men, older, distinguished men, especially. Ciao, Kimberly, bachi. All right. The history of Perugina chocolate is the bacio. is a little dark chocolate ball which surrounds a hazelnut. And it was first made in 1922 by a woman named Luisa Spagnoli. She named it originally Cazotto, C-A-Z-Z-O-T-T-O, which means like a punch, a punch with your fist. And someone else in the company thought, well, that's a silly name. Who's going to buy a punch? She was involved in the marketing department. Was she, she? Was, she was the pastry woman. <laughs> she was the chocolate maker. So they changed the name to Bachi a couple of years later. And that's when they started including the little love notes on this kind of opaque wrapper. So there's the little Bachi chocolate ball. Then it's got this opaque whitish wrapper with text on it in the deep blue of the color of their logo. Then it's wrapped in that silver foil. So I am not sure, to be honest, because I don't think I've ever bought a bocce here, but in Italy, obviously, these little love letters are written in Italian. If you bought bocce here, do they still have the love letter? Is it written in Italian or English? I'm not sure. Maybe we need to do that. Do a little taste test. little recce. Fair enough. Okay. I seriously learned some of my Italian from my addiction to bocce when I first moved there. I'd eat one or two every day, learn a couple words from the context of it. And it was always a cute little sweet phrase about love. Isn't that Karina? That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Let's go try and buy some bocce next time we're in a big chita. Well, some <laughs> chocolate anyway, please. You know, I just said that it was started in 1922. It's 2022 now. We could dedicate uh, an entire episode to bocce. A hundred years of kissing. To celebrate its 100 years of making people happy and sharing little love letters. Okay. I'll try to do that in an Instagram post too. So back to my trip with my friends there when we finally decided to leave Perugia after our lunch and our bocce and our shopping and our aqueducto romano walk. Everything we did, we had such a lovely day. And at the end, we decided to leave the way we came. And if some of you are wondering why I want to tell you about where we entered the city and left from, it's because it's an entrance unlike any other. And I did not mention this in our previous episode where we started up on Perugia. Keep in mind, Perugia is a walled city. And when you drive there or take the train, but primarily when you drive, There's a few public parking spots on the south part of the city, and then you leave your car there, and that's also where the train station is. So from either place, the train station or the public parking, you walk across the kind of main drag, the main road, and you take an escalator, which they would call in Italian, but the equivalent, the mechanical stairs. So you take this escalator, and it has like a plexiglass half dome cover on it. And you start going up into the top of the city. But what you're really entering is a place called Rocca 
Paulina, and that is an underground city built as a papal fortress in the 1500s, the mid-1500s. So Pope Paul, hence the name, Rocco Paulina, was built as a papal power, a papal fortress for Pope Paul. And it was huge and it was ugly. And the sad part is that in order to build this massive fortress, they, the designer, the architect, the builders, they demolished about one quarter of the city of Perugia, which included the homes of several significant Perugian families. So all of Perugia, that's part of its history. And they hated this papal fortress. They always hated it because they just claimed power. We're going to take this land and we're going to build this fortress. So generation after generation would hear the story of how this was built. So finally in the... Don't forget that the popes back then weren't as benevolent as they are right now. The pope was uh, a power monger. Exactly. Which is why this happened. So it wasn't until... Perugia was annexed to the Kingdom of Italy in 1860 that they raised the entire fortress, which was above ground. However, they left the city below the quote unquote basement of this papal fortress. And people knew it was there, but only the people that worked in the fortress that lived in the fortress had seen it. So they raised the fortress in 1860 and built other things on top of it. And then that underground part of the fortress just became forgotten until 1931 or two, something like that. Some locals found it in the same kind of situation that happens in every other city. They asked their grandparents, did you know about this underground city? We heard about it, but we never saw it. So all the local Perusians went and started walking underneath and they thought, you know, as much as we hated that fortress, this is history. Let's keep it. Let's clean it up. So they did. And they didn't remove the newer buildings that they had built on top after 1860. Those remained, but they cleaned it up. And that's when they decided that is a perfect entrance to their city. So it's huge. It's massive with these super tall arches, you know, as the ceiling. And those are made out of brick, red brick. And they're so intricate. And as you walk through this, and this is how you enter the city now, you walk through and you can't help but look up. It's so intense and beautiful. And then the walls themselves, some are made of small stone, like brick shapes. Some are made of huge stone sizes. And you just are in this maze and you're just speechless at how cool this is. And then finally, I think in the 60s, they had it cleaned up enough that it was good to go. And then it took until like 1980 to get this escalator, which still looks like it's from 1980. It's a little <laughs> dated, but it, it works. It's it fine. Works. The plexiglass is a little murky. The mechanical stairs. <laughs> the mechanical stairs are still working. How do you pronounce that in Italian? Uh, La Scala Meccanica? Not really sure. I just sounds good. Fake it. Fake it. No, you I make don't want to fake it. I make enough <laughs> mistakes that I'm embarrassed about. So I really don't want to do that. There are four entrances to this Roca Paulina. Yet I have always come and gone through the same one because I always drive there and I park in that lot. So next time I'm there, which I'll be with you, Tommaso. See, 
we will find the other four entrances. But now what's so awesome is that they make the most of this underground city and they have market stalls, they have art exhibitions, they have some musical concerts, some some of the, the rooms are small, some are larger. It's fantastic. And I actually, if you recall, a gift that I gave you that Christmas of 2019 was a um, sable, I forget the... Oh, the, the sable brushes. Yes. The Tintorento brushes, the watercolor no, no, brushes. No, 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 no. Oh. No, no, those brushes I bought you in Milano next to the Accademia di Bella Arte. Ah, ah with Remember? that nice set of watercolors. Yes. This gift I bought you in Perugia was a shaving brush, had that little wooden handle. I'm not sure if it was a badger. No, it, it wasn't badger because they're normally dark. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's really, it's got a little bit better texture than badger. doesn't get well, floppy. Okay. Well, what I find funny is why it was there in this underground, quote unquote, basement of the papal fortress, but it was there. And I just was so hoping to find something good to buy you from this incredible place. And I did. And there it is. However, you haven't used it in years because he's been sporting a beard for quite a while now. When you go back to shaving. When I go back to shaving, which may be in the very near future, given the fact it's 90 out. (laughs) Now, I'll say that this entire beautiful space of this underground city in Perugia is the most unique way to enter, exit the city. And it's like a museum, just walking around it. And you keep thinking to yourself, like the entire section of the city of Perugia is above us. And that may not be a person that has a bit of claustrophobia. That may not be their first choice, but it is large and tall, high ceilings with those arches and However, I'm just throwing that out there. It is completely underground with a city above you. Okay? Okay. (laughs) Let me finish this episode with this tasty little tidbit, which I forgot to include earlier. The main drag, when you exit this underground city, the Rocopalina, when you exit that, you'll end up on Corso Vanucci. That's the main drag that you walk to, also car-free, that you walk to the historic center, to the Piazza Quattro Novembre, where the fountain is, etc. On Corso Vanucci, on the right, halfway down to the main piazza, is a place called Patisseria Sandri dal 1860, which means Sandri pastry shop from 1860. It is amazing. And the woman that owns the Castello where we were staying, she, when we told her we were going to do a day trip to Perugia, everyone except Stefano, he stayed. She said, definitely go to uh, Patisseria Sandri, but do not sit outside. That's only for tourists. We're like, okay, we won't sit outside. Instead, we went into this little interior that's long and narrow, and we were just, I keep using the word speechless in this episode, but it just stopped you in your track. Long copper bar on the top was copper. Then these curved glass cases where 
all the pastry was below. And then behind the bar were are these intricately carved wooden cabinets with glass, some curved glass fronts, so you could see through to the various bottles of old fancy liqueurs and different kinds of Italian aperitif, you know, like the first versions of Campari and Aperol. And it was so beautiful. Then the arch ceiling with these little, not frescoes, but paintings looking like frescoes, but they're newer than that, of little vignettes of Perugia and decor and detail. The whole place just blew you away. So they had these teeny little tables for two, round tables for two. So we took two or three of them and we sat in these teeny little chairs and we, uh, everyone else got a pastry. I actually don't like pastry. You would have (laughs) gone to heaven in this place within a second. I don't care for any kind of pastry, which is quirky. I know. They all ordered a pastry and we all had a glass of Prosecco on our way into the city that day. And it was maybe like 1030 mid hour. So no one was there for the breakfast hour. No one was there for a lunch pastry type glass of Prosecco. But we had Prosecco sat in this interior, looked at every corner and thought, this is going to be a good day. (laughs) And it indeed was. So there's my favorite parts of Perugia. I highly recommend you go. It's beautiful, absolutely stunning, and full of history and chocolate and Prosecco and panini. (laughs) Pastry and Prosecco in Perugia. (laughs) Three Ps. (laughs) Very good. Patisseria e panino In Perugia. Bravo. All right. Our next episode will carry on with the other villages to visit in Umbria. And don't forget, this region is like the less popular little sister. Or you know what I'm trying to say? Like the less popular girl in school, but yet she's still beautiful. She's still hot. (laughs) Umbria is beautiful, lovely, delicious cuisine, lots of history. And yet, for some reason, just slightly less crowded. So right there alone is the reason to go. Va bene? Certo, CC. And we'll end this as we do each time. Please, please, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate a review, a rating on Spotify, anything you feel like. We're very grateful for all of them. And thank you very much for listening. Ciao, ciao. Arrivederci. Ciao, ciao, baci. You have to pause. Ciao, ciao. Bachi, bachi. Ciao, ciao. Bachi, bachi. <laughs> Bravo.